0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we'll begin. The Bible says over in Hebrews, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again, from, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You have a great shepherd. Now that the sound's on. I'll repeat it. You have a great shepherd. The Lord is the good shepherd, and he's the one who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. There is a very diminished light that is to reflect the great shepherd, and God's put shepherds over his flock in churches as well. Not the light of the world, Jesus, but to shepherd the flock. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where I've sent you. Maybe one of the most overlooked things about this section of verses. In 1 Thessalonians 5, you see verse 16, Rejoice evermore. Well, in the original language, that's plural. It's talking to a group of people to rejoice. Pray without ceasing. That's for the church corporate. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, In everything give thanks. Um, this is for the church, not just individuals, but for us all to give thanks together. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And then, almost, it's not separate. It's the next verse abstain from all appearance of evil. Once you prove something that's right or wrong, hold fast that which is good. And stay away from something even if it has the appearance of evil. I'd like you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There there are some evils in this world that are so dark and so vile and so deceitful, so slippery. There are cults, there's one called the way. And it is slithery like a snake. It is a, it is a web. It is, so, it is so full of guile. There are other religions that are cults, but they're not as wily as that, though they are as dark. And then there's some things that, like tonight, It's something that, to this point, I think the majority of people would say the first two seasons of a show about the Lord Jesus and His ministry on earth, they would say it's fairly tame and pretty good. I've heard people say that it was very helpful, this movie's series. And I would immediately warn you, be careful getting your Bible doctrine from the television. Years ago, we said, be careful getting your Bible doctrine from the History Channel. Now we say just from all television, because everything is a reality TV series. This is, I, I share with you an illustration from when I was in college. I'll just put it as though I'm giving it to you, and there was, this is the way I heard it. You're working outside, and it's very hot. It's a typical Tennessee hot day. It's burning up. You're sweating. You've been working for hours. And the thought of getting something to drink, even right now saying this, some of you are getting thirsty. The thought of something to drink sounds so good. And Pastor Lang pulls up to your driveway. See, I've altered the illustration a little. I pull up and I get out and I, I pull out of the back of my van a table and I set it up right there in your lawn. I pull up and I put up a sign that says lemonade. And then I pull out of my van a cooler and I pull out and I pour out this this out of this pitcher of lemonade. I put I put cups out. I put lemons out, and then I. Have my juicer and I squeeze the lemons into the cup and I make it right there and I get the ice out and I put the ice in. And I call you and say, hey, we want a drink. Fresh lemonade. I wanted you to have a drink. I've wanted to do it in your yard. I know you saw you working here and I want you to have some. And you walk up, and I mean, it looks so good. You can almost see the condensation running down the side of the glass and the ice inside. And you say, Pastor, that's so kind. And I say, go right ahead. And as you reach for an ice-cold glass of lemonade, I pull out of my pocket a box and I shake it. And you've got the glass up to your mouth, and I say, hold just a second. One more thing. And I pull out a box, and I rip the top open. I say, give me your glass. And I take it, and I just dump a little bit of these green pellets inside it. I get out of spoon, I start mixing up the pellets. They don't mix. You're seeing pellets kind of swirling around with the ice on the inside. And now you're wondering, what is pastor trying to do to me? And you take this, you say, what is it? And I said, oh, it's nothing. It's just, and I hold up a box, it looks like a wedge of cheese. By the, morning, by the way, this morning, when we sang bringing in the sheaves, I thought you said bringing in the cheese. I, I, it took me a second to process it. But I pull out this box, this wedge of cheese, it's a box. And it says, mouse proof Two, guaranteed to kill mice. And I say, oh, it's nothing. I put it behind my back. No, 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 Pastor, what was that? I said, oh, it's nothing. It's just mouse-proof, guaranteed to ki- kill, kill, kill my, don't worry about that part. Um, I said, by the way, do you know, I want to tell you, I would never hurt you in any way. Not purposefully. But do you know how much of this is inert and how much of these, this is active ingredients? And I could hold up a box and you could see it's true, even today, mouse-proof too. What percentage of it is inert? By the way, what's inert mean? Inactive. Harmless. So what percentage of mouse proof 2 do you think is harmless and inert? Anyone have a guess? 97%. You're close. Don't answer if you already know this, okay? 99.5% inert. Whoa. He's getting closer. It's not, it's not 100%. It's 99.9%. 9, 5%. Okay, then you go over to the active ingredient, so it's point zero zero five percent That's not the tenths or the hundredths column. That is the thousandths column. It is five thousandths of 1%. And I say, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just drink it, it's good for you. I mean, that much inert ingredients is practically like eating lettuce. And you just kind of look at me like, are you sick? I said, really, it's fine. And I, I hold up and I, sh- I show it to you. And I show it, it says that it's guaranteed to kill mice within 24. Don't forget about that. Never mind. Never mind. Let me ask you. If I said, it's for you, you're thirsty, would you drink it? The worst you're gonna get is a slight bellyache, maybe. Would you drink it? You're hungry. What if I reach in the in my van and I pull out a happy meal? Take off the top of the burger and sprinkle mouse proof two across it, and I'll say, I'll give you 20 bucks. I say, Pastor, what are you doing? You say, It's almost completely harmless. My question for you tonight is how much are you willing to put up with? How much evil are you willing to put up with? It's a good question. Brother Koning, when that illustration was given to me in college, it was about promise keepers was the subject. And then the teacher pulled out books and opened them up and took us to places where in the promise keepers books The leader of Promise Keepers said that Jesus had homosexual tendencies because he was tempted in all points, like as we are. I'm telling you, that is blasphemy. And then he looked us in the eye and he said, Preacher boys in the class, how much are you willing to put up with in your ministries? Some things look very good. I just want to challenge you tonight to prove all things, and hold fast that which is good. The series that I'd like to talk about tonight is called The Chosen. How many of you have heard of it at some point, maybe in news or somewhere, you've heard of The Chosen? Okay, so The Chosen. I understand they've already had two, two seasons of The Chosen, and in some ways there were some good things on it. And I want to just read a little bit to you in different things that i brought. But it's an incredibly popular series being embraced by Christians. It's being called a global phenomenon and a growing movement. And it's, many are saying it's setting the groundwork for worldwide revival. So what is it? The Chosen is a series, number one, that has a strong Mormon influence. Number one has a strong Mormon influence. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but almost all Mormon converts come from Christian denominations. You might be surprised to... Hear this, but it is a fact that the cults of today are conceived largely from Orthodox evangelical circles. In other words, there's a man named Harold Bussell, Bussell in his book Unholy Devotion Why Cults Lure Christians. He has some amazing conclusions. He says that the Western cults, a study of them reveals that. Many began in evangelical churches by men and women from solid Bible backgrounds. You know, maybe you've heard of the Unification Church. The founder is Sun Myung Moon. Mm -hmm. He was reared in a Presbyterian home. Jim Jones, you've heard of him? Jim Jones, the People's Temple. He one time attended a Nazarene church. The one I mentioned earlier, The Way, it's a filthy, wily uh, religion and a cult. The founder came out of Reformed circles, Calvinistic circles. Mary Baker Eddy is the founder of the Christian Scientist, as well as Charles Taz Russell from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Both of them were reared in basically Christian families. What I'm saying is the Mormon church recruits. They're a massive recruiting religion. In fact, they're, um, the Mormon church chose Dallas, Texas as the main target to gain converts and build their Mormon temple in the buckle of the Bible belt because they saw that they were getting more converts from the Southern Baptists than from any other denomination. They chose the Bible Belt. We don't call it the Bible Belt. We call it the church belt because there's little Bible left, but there are churches dotting the, the plane. So I want to put before us, kind of just demonstrate a little bit about the chosen. The chosen is strongly influenced by Mormons. You say, what do you mean? Okay, so the producer is named Dallas Jenkins. He's an evangelical I wonder if any of you have heard of someone named Jerry Jenkins. Who is Jerry Jenkins? He is the writer behind what popular series? The Left Behind, the Left behind series. Jerry Jenkins, over the past several years, has come to a historic low in his, in his production ability. And so when he, he got together with a group of Mormons who were very much looking to, for some way that Mormonism could be Seen as a credible version of evangelicalism. We want to be received as just another evangelical branch. When these two came together, Jerry Jenkins' son, Dallas, they began working on this, The Chosen. And uh, the executive producer of The Chosen series is a Mormon, the distributor is a Mormon. Um, They used common mormon sets for their for their shots crowdfunding and media expertise is provided by mormons and i would like you to look at a passage of scripture second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 see the mormon church has had a long desire to be viewed by evangelicals as just another denomination and not a cult so this was a great opportunity and I understand that there would be people that might tell me, Pastor Lang, there's, there's been no Mormon influence in the first two seasons. There's been no Mormon teaching, no Mormon doctrine introduced. But I believe that the issue might be more fundamental than that. Because the Bible tells us we're not to have fellowship with people or be unequally yoked. And while some might say, well... But this is a business venture. No, it is a business venture to show the world who Jesus is and what the church is. They're defining Christianity. That is an unlawful yoking. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So, in a film that the whole point is to depict the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 6 needs to be applied. The whole purpose of it is to show what the light is. And you're working with someone who does not even believe in the same Jesus. You know, isn't it amazing? Years ago, I would say it was 25 years ago, Around that time, um, I remember a series. How many of you remember a series called The God Makers? Anyone remember a series called The God Makers? One, two, three, some? Okay. What was it about? It was exposing what religion? Mormonism. I remember going to the college library, checking out the series, sitting down there at the old VHS and, and watching The, the God Makers. And it was exposing the evils of Mormonism. And I was shocked. And that was, back in those days, people were flocking to see the God-makers, and now we have evangelicals embracing Mormonism. I believe that we ought to stay away from the chosen because of its Mormon influence. Number two, and tied to it, the Bible Jesus is not the same Jesus as Mormonism's Jesus. The Bible Jesus is not the same Jesus. Now, I'd like you to consider that the, the, the uh, Jesus of Mormonism is so different, it is staggering. In fact, maybe you already know this, but the, the Jesus of Mormonism is called Lucifer's brother. The Jesus of Mormonism was the product of a physical relationship between God the Father and Mary. That's not our Jesus. The Jesus of Mormonism is not eternal. The Jesus of Mormonism has not always existed. By the way, we believe in the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. We believe. By the way, with Mormonism, one of the great places to start is with the Trinity, because they don't believe in an eternal divine trinity. They believe that Jesus came into being, was a person like us, who through um, his achievements became God. And that maybe one day you can too, through your achievements. This is not the same Jesus. The Jesus of Mormonism is insufficient for salvation, and so you have to trust in the teachings of Joseph Smith. You say, well, Pastor Lang, I don't believe in Mormonism. I, that's, that's only right. I'm glad to hear that. But I want you to hear this. that The Chosen's director, co-writer, and chief publicist, Dallas Jenkins, has gone on record. This is the man who's behind it all, stating that the Mormon Jesus is the same as the Bible Jesus. I'll just quote him. He says, I can honestly say one of the top three most fascinating and beautiful things about this project has been my growing brother and sisterhood with people of the LDS community that I never would have known otherwise. By the way, did you hear he said brother and sisterhood? What is he calling them? Christians. By the way, if Mormons are Christians, you don't need to lead them to Christ. There's no reason to witness to them if they're brothers and sisters. Learning so much about your faith and tradition and realizing, and he has an expletive I won't use, for all the stuff that maybe we don't see eye to eye on that all, ha- that all happened, that's all based on stuff that happened after Jesus was here. The stories of Jesus we do agree on and we, quote, we, he's talking, he and the Mormons love the same Jesus. That's not something that you often hear. He says, I mean, I'll sink or swim on that statement, and it's controversial, and I don't mind being criticized at all for the show. I don't mind being called a blasphemer. I made it very clear that if I go down, I'm going down swinging, protecting my friends and my brothers and sisters. I think you ought to protect your friends. If I, had, if I have a Mormon neighbor and, he, and his house is on fire, I think I ought to rush in and try to help him. I mean, if if he's got a dog attacking him, I think we ought to do everything we can to get that dog off him. If we've got a neighbor who's on their way to hell, we ought to do everything we can to save them and love them and protect them and help them as though they are our brother. But folks, Mormons are not our brother in Christ. He says, protecting my friends and my brothers and sisters, I don't deny we have a lot of theological differences, but we love the same Jesus. And my answer is, no, you don't. Not if you're a Christian. Um, Number three, not only is, has it a strong Mormon influence and um, a different Jesus, but also this is, it claims to be the definitive portrayal of God's people. Now listen to those words. Words are important. In a 2021 interview, Dallas Jenkins said this, I felt like God was saying, I think he felt wrong, but let's go ahead. I felt like God was saying, the chosen is going to be the definitive portrayal of my people. And this is what people are going to think of around the world when they think of my people. And God said to me, I'm not going to let you screw this up. Did you hear what he just claimed? What did he just claim? He just claimed that everything on his series has been approved by God. God's not going to let this series get screwed up. God is going to make this the definitive portrayal of his people. And I would say, you need to prove all things, sir, by Scripture. Number four, I have a lot of quotes I'm skipping. Um, Number four, Mr. Jenkins said that 95% of the content isn't from the Bible. Well, that may shock you, but it shouldn't. um, Videography, you have to have background, right? Right? You have to have other... You, you see, what happens is you start giving personalities and words to people that are extra-biblical. And as soon as you do this, you're putting things in people's minds that are extra-biblical, and there's a danger. Um, here's what Dallas Jenkins told an interviewer. Quote, Nine, this is where I got my point, 95% of the content of The Chosen isn't from the Bible. How's that for stealing his whole, whole line? It's, in other words, he's saying... It's almost completely not from God. God's word. You say, what do you mean? Let me give some examples. In the chosen, they don't hesitate to add their own opinions and ideas. For one, um, they add a whole section on, well, it's a small section, on Matthew being autistic. Did you know that Matthew is autistic? I'm telling you, that's adding to that's putting thoughts in people's minds that are not in the Bible. It it would be funny if it wasn't messing with scripture. John 12, 49, and 15, 50, when it's acted out, Jesus is rehearsing his sermon on the mount. That's not in the Bible either. Peter, in The Chosen, calls John the Baptist, Creepy John. Creepy John. It sounds funny, but the Scripture, what does the Scripture say? It says that John the Baptist, Luke 1, would be great in the sight of the Lord, And would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. To call John the Baptist creepy John, I don't believe, I I believe that's creative liberties that have gone way too far. Dallas Jenkins says that the fictionalized stories he's created are plausible. Webster's dictionary says plausible means superficially fair, reasonable, or valuable, but often specious, meaning. Having the false look of truth. Hmm, he's right. Another Jenkins put in the script that the Apostle Peter had a gambling debt that pressured him to fish overtime on the Sabbath. Hmm. And Mr. Jenkins implies, implies that the scripture itself is flat and boring and one dimensional. I begin to wonder if the man is saved. Not because... I also have had times where I read the Bible and I don't get a lot out of it. And I have to say, Lord, help me to focus my brain. Lord, help me to concentrate. Help me to study. But when you begin to call good evil and evil good and cults who do not know Christ, brothers and sisters, when you begin to portray these things and have a very loose and free hand with the Scripture... I believe it's a dangerous position. The Bible says we're to cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know where we get the knowledge of God? From the Bible. From the Bible. This would be closer to what I would call cunningly devised fables. There was a Jewish rabbi named Jason Sobel, who was one of Dallas Jenkins' advisors, So he'd go to him and say, what do you think about me adding this part to the script? What do you think of it coming from an Orthodox Jewish background? And when he asked him about Peter having a gambling debt and adding that in and fishing on the Sabbath, the Orthodox lost Jew said, that's not plausible. Now what he just said was, I being an Orthodox Jew, not a believer in your Jesus, if I heard that, I would say, that's not true. But it's a story about Jesus and claiming to be the, the authentic Jesus of the Bible. And if a, a rabbi says, well, these are all things that are obviously show that your, your, book, your book's not true, it's not even plausible, that's a problem. Sometimes the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Number five, let's talk just for a moment about the person who plays, the, act, the actor who plays Jesus. I don't know I'm going to pronounce his name right. His, I can get his first name It's Jonathan. His last name is something like Rumi or Raumi, R-O-U-M-I-E. And I just want to point out that Jonathan Raumi, the one who plays Jesus, is a Fervent Catholic. Fervent Catholic. Um, very much into the New Age. He is a Knights Templar. Some of you will know what that means. In 2020, he was nominated for the Papal Roman Catholic Knighthood. He claims to have personal interaction with deceased Catholic saints, and he credits his Catholic faith as being foundational for his portrayal of Jesus. You understand that his celebrity status has come about as a result of this whole series, The Chosen. And this is what he's using now to push Catholicism. Um, in a YouTube video, Rumi says he used the Divine Mercy Chaplet, a meditative Catholic prayer ritual. And um, I, should, I should not even go down that road. Um, second, under this matter of Jonathan Rumi's spiritual influence of Catholicism on millions, is that in an August 2021 statement on his Twitter account, Rumi posted a photo of himself standing next to the tomb of Padre Pio, a Roman Catholic priest and a mystic who died in 1968. And the actor who played Jesus said this, Visiting Saint Padre Pio, one of the most powerful saints and witnesses to the suffering and miracles of Christ in the 20th century. And I asked myself, was he a witness of the suffering and miracles of Christ if he died in 1968? But I go on and says, visiting his visiting Saint Padre Pio, he said, as he speaks of him as well as one with whom I've had personal interactions. What he just said was he interacts with a dead Catholic saint. Did you know that Scripture talks about that? Does anyone know what the word is in the Old Testament for communication with the dead? Necromancy. Necromancy is a combination of two Hebrew words. One means seeking after, and the other is the dead. It, who in the Bible sought after someone who was dead? King Saul did. If you were to go to Deuteronomy 18, you'd see exactly what God says about this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, um, the Bible is very, very clear. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times. We're in Deuteronomy 18.10, middle of the verse, end of the verse. Or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. Do you see what level we're at right here? Or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. It goes on, it tells you that they were to be put to death. You find that in several places in the Bible. If the person who is playing Jesus in a film is a Catholic who believes in necromancy, communication with departed Catholic saints... Folks, this is not healthy. And at this point, some who may have seen parts of this video series, The Chosen, might say, Pastor Lang, but you haven't seen it. And if you'd seen it, you'd see that most of it just fits right in with the biblical timeline of the scriptures. And I want to remind you, you're playing with fire when you're dealing with cults. Did you know that the Roman Catholic Church, excuse me, the Mormon Church, that Joseph Smith started the Mormon Church with the Book of Mormon, 1830, that teaches there's only one God who is spirit and that Jesus is his son, but it wasn't until 14 years later that he started introducing other new doctrines. What I'm saying is, if you have a Mormon executive director and a Mormon producer and um, a Mormon distributor and Mormon sets, the first two seasons might be relatively harmless, but I can tell you where it's headed. No. You, say, you say, you are not think, Pastor, the Bible says, think no evil. And my answer to you is, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You see, this is the way Satan works. It would be very natural and normal. By the way, if you were a Mormon, part of a cult, unaccepted by, generally speaking, Christianity, if you were not accepted and you wanted your faith to be accepted, what better way than to start out with one, two, three, four seasons that all draw everyone in and say, that's my Jesus. And then when you get later down the road, you say, Pastor Lang, you are assuming the worst. No, I'm taking Mormon directors' theology seriously. So I would urge you to be careful. Be careful. There's an excellent article some of you might be interested in reading. It points out it's from Lighthouse Trails Research Journal. And um, has probably a dozen articles in it. One of them is called "An Ex-Mormon Couple Are Devastated That Christian Leaders and Pastors Are Embracing the Chosen Series." How many of you have heard of Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron, well, well-known, but he's embraced the Chosen. Um, he's 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 encouraging it. He's promoting it. Now, when you get well-known names promoting it, it just means it's going to go further. This, more, this formerly Mormon couple who wrote the article, Dennis and Rowney Higley, are the authors of, of um, this book called The Truth About Mormonism. Dennis was a sixth-generation Mormon who became a, a child of God, got saved. And his wife came out of Mormonism as well. What they said is this, we are seeing it here already. Former Mormons who left Mormonism and became true Christians are starting to turn back to Mormonism. Why not? If the Mormon Jesus and the biblical Jesus are the same, there's no need to leave their Mormon family and heritage after all. I would recommend it to your reading. This is, there's many things that I'd like to bring forward. Our time is limited, but I want to, challenge you to be careful. The man who plays the part of the Lord Jesus Christ on this movie, Jonathan Rumi, has become a very popular voice on Halo, or Halo, the number one Catholic contemplative meditation um, uh, website. What is is contemplative meditation? It is pure New Age. New Age. Um, This is on June 9th, 2019, the actor Rumi's Instagram account, Rumi, praises and promotes the New Age practice practitioner Russell Brand, a strong proponent of transcendental meditation. Rumi states, it was a fantastic night of, of do-gooding, meditative appreciation, and transcendental inebriation. What's inebriation? Getting drunk. Getting drunk, transcendental, drunkenness. This is the man who's playing the part of Jesus. And some might say it really doesn't matter that a devout Catholic who has interactions with dead saints and participates in Catholic New Age mystical prayer practices is playing Jesus because he's just playing a part. But folks, his whole platform for promoting Catholicism is because of what you're watching. You're, you, are, you are having a part in in watching and taking in the very thing that's making Catholicism so, grow so quickly. Let me read something from T.A. McMahon. Any of you heard of the Berean Call? Berean Call? Dave Hunt years ago wrote a book, What Love Is This? Against Calvinism. Um, and Dave Hunt worked with T.A. McMahon, the Berean Call. Um, Dave Hunt has gone home to heaven. T.A. McMahon wrote this. I think this is a little bit lengthy, but I think it's something you, in, in our media age, Please listen. It's it's very helpful, I think. T.A. McMahon, uh, a student of the Word of God, studied filmmaking in grad school, worked for Century Fox Studios several years, then entered a career as a screenwriter in Hollywood prior to becoming a Christian. And this is an extract from something he wrote. It's called The Chosen Fiction. Can the Bible be presented through the filmmaking process and stay true to what God's Word says about His Word? This is how the process works. A movie begins with a screenplay. It's either an original story or screen adaptation from someone else's work, such as the Bible. The screenplay or movie script, in addition to presenting the storyline or plot, the characters, the dialogue, consists of visual descriptions of what's taking place in the movie story. Changes to the script always take place during filming. Reasons for the changes for the original script are seemingly endless. The actor's egos, the budget cuts, weather problems, location problems, reasons they might change the script. The executive producer's ego, the cameraman's sudden inspiration for filming a scene, union problems, stunt failures, the director's ego, etc. As with other theatrical endeavors, biblical production, listen, Biblical production comes about primarily through the screenwriter's interpretation of what has been written in Scripture. Add to that the movie-making necessity and changes that such as a storyline and dialogue related to the plot are obviously lacking in the Bible. And so must be supplemented by the screenwriter in order to create a theatrical production. Character descriptions in the Bible are limited. Did you hear that? Character descriptions are limited. At best, and must be added to in order for a casting director to select the actors. Along that line, how does one cast the sinless God-man, Jesus Christ? The perfect attributes and righteous characters of the Son of God could never be displayed by an actor on the screen. When such an idea is incorporated in the script, the end result is a counterfeit Christ. Or at best, at best if what a person is taught about Jesus is not true to the person revealed in the scriptures, that character is another Jesus. In a false Christ, no matter how endearing and engaging the actor may be. The same is true regarding all the actors representing biblical characters. Movies are perhaps, is what McMahon says, the most seductive of all media the world over. I learned as a screenwriter that manipulating an audience's emotions was the key to a box office success. You have to make them laugh, make them weep, frighten them, make them cheer arouse their passion, arouse their lusts. In other words, you have to control their emotions. The power of persuasion through the film medium seduces believers who normally would recognize that they are being snared by a fictional screen character. The comment most often given by those who enjoy the chosen series is, I really like a lot of the human qualities displayed by the chosen's Jesus. It's so easy to relate to him. So the chosen's audience has been conditioned to accept whatever the screenwriter, director, and other creative personnel contribute with no apparent concern for biblical accuracy. Yet the greater number of viewers, many of whom have not read the Bible regularly, the images they watch are received as though they're actually Bible. I've been told that biblical movies are great motivators for people to check the Bible out. McMahon says, really? And if they do, what happens when they can't find the movie scene such as the gritty backstory of Mary Magdalene? The gritty backstory. You know, do you know what the Word of God, God God wrote the Word of God in such a way that He was even careful in the way He said things. Furthermore, most people would rather watch a highly dramatized Bible story with little concern that it's fiction than read the actual words of Scripture. So says T. A. McMahon. Um, I need to cut it short. Let me just say a few other things. Um, the chosen tell in the chosen series, Jesus tells his disciples and viewers at one point, "Get used to different." And I want you to think about that. Get used to different. Galatians one says, "If you, if if." If anyone brings any other, any other gospel, that in which I preached unto you, let him be accursed. If an angel from heaven, any other gospel, let him be accursed. Says it twice. In other words, if it's different, don't. Whereas this, it, it says, the Jesus of chosen says, get used to different. And people might say, yeah, Pastor Lang. It was one line. And by the way, the chosen directors have been confronted on that line. And their response was this. They said, it, they said it was a throwaway line in a particular scene. But actually that particular line, Get Used to Different, has become the motto of the series. And if you were to go out and look for chosen paraphernalia, guess what's written on the mugs and the t-shirts and, and uh, well, I've got a list of it here. Hoodies, ball caps, Get Used to Different. It has become the motto of the series. January 2022, the owners of the series applied for a U.S. trademark for that slogan. Get used to different. So I have a whole section of quotes that are way too long. The executive producer, Mormon Daryl Eves, in his YouTube um, channel uh, called The YouTube Formula, he speaks of Jesus as the ultimate unicorn. And he says... It's a lengthy quote. I'll put it out if you'd like to see it. He says that we've got we've had to target Generation X and millennial women. They're our biggest spenders. We've target the buyer persona of females aged 25 to 45. We've targeted people who were the community, the school, the church volunteers. He talks about. The essence here is the more you understand and relate to your audience and create content for them, the more YouTube will connect the dots and feed them the preferred flavor of ice cream, so to speak. Maybe it's the unicorn blank flavored kind, or maybe it's the Jesus kind. You feed them what they want to hear, so you sell it. What he's just said is that a big part of the chosen's popularity is due to adjusting the content to fit what the targeted viewers want. It's well researched. It's if you were to read the rest of this, you would say that is market driven. You say, "What's wrong with that?" That's the per- that's the purpose of an executive producer, Pastor Lang. It has to have that. No, biblical Christianity is not market driven. It's true. It's top down, not bottom up. It is from God to us, telling us the truth, not us deciding what is truth to me and to you. This is it's dangerous. So last of all let me just encourage you to do this i want to encourage you to be careful be careful because the problem with f- so much false teaching is the first 19 minutes are so good but it's when you get to minute 20 you don't even care it you don't even catch it it goes right under your radar be careful Anything, here's my blanket generality, which you may not appreciate. Anything produced by the Mormons where the lead actor is Catholic, market driven, has no business in my life. So I realized that. I realize that maybe you've seen episodes of it and what you saw, maybe you didn't see it as being unwholesome. And maybe there's a challenge among, in your mind saying, well, now I want to see what it does. Now I want to see where the Mormonism comes in. And I would challenge you to remember the verse that we're to be, remember what the Bible says about what is, what is evil? What does it say? We're to be simple concerning that which is evil. Simple. If you know it's wrong, that's enough. I don't need to go on a hunt to learn more. If you doubt what I've said, I have research. Almost everything I've said tonight was from other people. Okay, Except the scripture, and even that was from God. (laughs) So I don't take credit for any, any brilliant thinking. And if you'd like to see what I have, I have a couple books. I have this, and I want to challenge you. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Father in heaven, Lord, help us not to be thinking that we're so wise and we're so it would be so hard to deceive us. Help us, Lord, to see that we, we are easily deceived. Our own hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Lord, may we be wary May we go to the book of truth to get the truth. May we stick with the word of God to learn about you, our Heavenly Father, our God. Lord, may we not look to anything on the silver screen to determine what we believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.